Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. million people will die from a deadly virus in 2020. The survivors will abandon the surface of the earth. And once again, the podcasters will rule the world. This is 12 Monkeys on In the Camp. You're a very good observer, Cole. We have a very advanced program, something very different. An opportunity to reduce your sentence considerably. And possibly play an important role in returning the human race to the surface of the earth. This is a place for crazy people. I'm not saying you're not mentally ill. For all I know, you're <laughs> crazy as a loon. The army of the 12 monkeys, they're the ones who spread the virus. Monkeys. We've been living in a meticulously constructed fantasy world, and that world is starting to disintegrate. You haven't become addicted to that dying world? No, sir. He needs help. I think I'm crazy when people start dying next month. I don't belong here. You're here because of the system. I know some things that you don't know. Yes, my son. You sent me to the wrong year. You're certain of that? Science ain't an exact science. You had a bullet from World War One in your leg, James. How did it get there? I don't know. You're a trained psychiatrist. You know the difference between what's real and what's not. You said that I had delusions. You said you could explain. I'm trying to. I want the future to be unknown. I can help you. Get you out. Monkeys. The thing mutates, we live underground. They're watching you. I just want to do my part to get us back on top in charge of the planet. Another episode of In the Can Movie Podcast at the Barn Burner, which is a tremendous website if you haven't checked it out. Uh, this movie was released on January fifth, and ninety six, which is the the wide release. That's twenty five years from today. In fact, we're recording it, although it's credited as being released in ninety five. So it's the twenty fifth, Annie. I'm joined by the leader of the Army of Twelve Monkeys, Derek Steiner. Derek, how are you this evening? Besides a troubling Grizzlies loss. Yeah, besides that loss, I'm doing great. I'm repping my other pandemic virus uh, merchandise uh, to fit with the podcast today with my stand shirt. Very nice. Thanks, the stand shirt. Uh, psyched to talk about this. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man. Uh, this is on HBO Max. If anyone hasn't had a chance to watch it recently, check it out. It is streaming on HBO Max. So this movie, Bruce Willis plays James Coley, travels back and forth through time in an attempt to prevent the release of a deadly virus that killed mostly everyone on the planet. And uh, Dr. Catherine Riley diagnoses him as mentally ill, sending to him to a mental institution where he connects with Jeffrey Goins, played by Brad Pitt. But after accounting him again and again, the psychiatrist comes to realize that Cole may be sane after all. This is a time travel movie. It's a huge hit. Yep. Made $160 million on a $29 million budget, which mm-hmm. is a lot of money for a bizarre fucking weird Terry Gilliam movie. 
Absolutely. In a Terry Gilliam movie through and through. I mean, this is definitely like they let him do his thing. And that does not happen these days. No, no. And it's it's one of those movies where, you know, I, it came out when I was, I guess, eight years old. So I don't really remember the marketing well. I just it, it caught me at that moment of like Bruce Willis hype. I was a kid that loved, you know, those action stars, the Arnold's and Sly's and Van Damme's. And, and Willis was was my favorite because my first Willis movie was Die Hard with a Vengeance, which came out, I think, a year before this one. So I was like, this is the next Willis movie. And little did I know it would be this bizarre art film that was so hard to follow. But as you know, as an eight-year-old, I saw it twice in theaters because again, it was, you know, this was a, the Bruce show. It's an A-list action film. I mean, A-list action star in a trippy sci-fi film. Time travel movies are tricky. Uh, what's your mileage on time travel movies? Is this a genre that you enjoy? You know, where does this fall in your all-time? I mean, look, time travel movies frustrate me because I, you're always, you're never, there's always going to be that paradox. There's always going to be, you're going to bump on many logic issues. I, I've yet to find one that's perfect. I mean, Bill and Ted's probably the closest you get to a perfect sci-fi movie in terms of like making sense. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, come on, they're fun. Back to the future. I, I love them all. It's just, you know, uh, they're, they're, they can be a bit frustrating. You know, I, I like, I really ride for Looper. Um, which I yeah, think doesn't have it. It really just doesn't want to fool with the whole like the paradox. Like they're yeah. basically just like in the movie, like eh, don't worry about that. Another you have, to, you have to, you just have to buy in. Like I don't know if you saw Tenant, but did you see Tenant yet? I did. There's that great line where the doctor just says, "Look, don't ask questions, just go with it." You know just what I mean? Just, just <laughs> yeah. feel it, yeah. And it's yeah. like, and and this is one of those movies. And and the good thing about seeing it so young is I I wasn't hung up on the mechanics of it all. I was more it was it was the uh, just the experience of uh, the bizarre like the bizarre filmmaking of Terry Gilliam. Yeah, I, I had this movie on DVD, and I don't know when I got it. I like might have been in a Walmart bargain bin sort of deal, but that was back when you like curated your DVD collection, and yeah. your DVD collection basically told you who you told people that visited who you were. You had like your at least <laughs> I did. I had them like on my shelf, you know, like prominently yeah. displayed in my yeah. entertainment room, and that that's you know, when you actually like had your disc, you had your mm -hmm. movies and like people would come over and like, be like, what is all this? And 12 monkeys is one that people ask me about a lot. Cause it's like, a lot of people haven't it's, seen it. I didn't it's see got it. A, it's got a striking poster and that's what's yeah. like, and that poster intimidated the shit out of me as a kid. But I, but again, I love Die Hard with a vengeance. I hadn't seen the other two diehards, but I was like all in on Willis and I couldn't wait till, you know, the parents would take me to see 12 monkeys. And of course they were like, uh, I don't know if this is for, for kids, but, uh, you know, I had a babysitter that saw it and was like, Willis isn't even good in it. Brad Pitt's the one that steals the show. And I didn't know who Brad Pitt was. I just knew he was a guy in seven and I wasn't allowed to see that movie yet. So 12 Monkeys was like this, this, I wouldn't say forbidden movie, but it was like this accomplishment I needed to uh, experience. And I, so, and my parents took me twice, which is just, I loved it. Didn't understand a <laughs> thing about it, but I loved it. I mean, it's good to see it twice. It's a, it's a movie that, that benefits on rewatch, I think, and it kind of rewards the viewers. doesn't treat the audience stupidly. It's kind of like, nope. hey, we're just going to take you through this and like however many times it takes you to figure it out, then you'll get it. But uh, I yeah. think the – I mean, I came to this when Pitt was like – I'd seen Pitt in Seven. I'd seen him in Fight Club. And I'd yep. see – because I had to go back and rewatch all this stuff. So, I mean, he was oh. like – I mean, this era of Pitt is just – he's just doing all this different stuff. He comes to this. He's like not – he just did Legends of the Fall, so he's trying to right. steer away, I think, from yeah, – he's doing what I, I wish a lot doing, of people would do. Yeah, I think if I remember right, I don't have the credits in front of me right now, but I think he was – this was right during his era of like, yeah, Legends of the Fall. He'd done, he done seven, and then he did – I don't know if he did seven years in Tibet around this time, but he was like the pretty boy. He was a pretty boy actor. alive at this time. 
sexiest man alive exactly so of course he goes to you know he goes and does a movie with an art house director let's be honest harry gilliam's an art house director uh and plays a role where he gets to be crazy and ugly and and in a way a lot of actors kind of copy him now in that sense you know they, they do risk that this, this is like the jared leto uh you know who else is someone like it, it is a it's a challenge and um and I don't know, I, I don't know how audiences took it at the time if they thought he went a little too far. I loved it. I was blown away by it, by his by his performance. It's got to be weird to see him for the first time doing this like crazy yeah. character, and then then access him later in his like heartthrobby stoner roles or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, as the cool guy, the cool hang, like the hang dog that you just want to like <laughs> drive around in a car of you know 1960s Los Angeles with. Yeah. Um, yeah so. What are your general thoughts on I mean, you came to it, you, you saw it twice, you were like, this rules, Bruce Willis, action star, I'm just like, it's got season tickets to Bruce Willis. Sure, I mean, the initial, the initial impression of it was, I, I love the idea of a world overrun by animals. I thought that was really cool. And, and uh, you know, especially for, I guess this was 95-ish, 96, the, the effects are very well done in this. Um, I loved the, 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 I guess you call it steampunky type world that Gilliam created. And I hadn't seen Brazil at the time. I had no idea what Brazil was. I actually watched that movie recently. And this is basically, you know, the studio giving Gilliam uh, the right to make a time travel version of Brazil. Right. Uh, like the sets, I hadn't seen sets like that before in a movie. And, and the costumes I hadn't seen before in a movie. And, and the, image, the image that keeps coming to me, especially like as an adult, but always as a kid was, that, that, that like the latex outfit Bruce would have to wear and, and like it really enhances like you know his famous bald head and and like him being sprayed down naked all this stuff is like shocking for an eight-year-old to see and even now it's like this is a shocking portrayal of time travel in a movie where you don't even really see the time travel I just you know, it's awesome the set design's awesome I mean that's immediately what I thought mm -hmm. of I mean you mm -hmm. got the this movie was shot mostly in Philly, which is where it actually mm -hmm. takes places too. Back back then, I was reading the oral history, which just got released today, actually, because it's the 25th Annie. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and and they said that Philly had all these old buildings that hadn't been torn down because it hadn't yet gone through like its, you know, gentrification renaissance that every American right. city has. Right. So they've got this energy. They got these slightly crumbling buildings everywhere that haven't yet been destroyed. Um, nice. All these 19th century generator plants said one of the the set uh, decorators. Uh, which served as the location for the subterranean future that they're in. Uh, apparently, Gilliam was enamored with a closed power plant on the coast of the Delaware River, and that's he had to shoot there. Like he, there wasn't anything <laughs> like you know, it's his vision and all that. Uh, it was maybe the biggest building in all of Philadelphia, actually, but it had been shut down. And when they went in there, like this, the a part of the ceiling collapsed and almost killed one of the set designers. Oh, wow. And that set designer had to spend like two months making it shootable. Like, and so just. Wow. All that sort of stuff. I mean, the, the, this goes to my, my big thing is like I hate CGI and like I love real sets. And this is mm -hmm. just like that time where CGI wasn't yet ready to handle the brunt of the work. Right. So you actually had to go in a real place. And that's why right. this movie ages super well because it, it really, it really does. Future yeah. isn't futuristic. It's like, no, it, it's not advanced. It's, like, in it's fact, very it's ugly. Back, it's, really. right. Yeah, it's very ugly. You kind of, re yeah, the, the humanity reverts. Uh, to more basic things, you know, just, I'm just, just, uh, just thinking about it like that, you know, this movie is the first time you see a Bruce Willis type or Bruce Willis be vulnerable in strange ways. Like, you know, normally again, he was the action star. He was a rom-com star, but in this movie he's drooling, he's drugged up and he doesn't even speak much in it, which is very confusing for, you know, him being the leading man and for being someone, you know, for him being the draw of the movie. I, I thought that was, you know, it's a ball ballsy role for him to do. 
It's uh, also, I think, the first shaved head Willis roll. Um, where you which, embrace which is crucial. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. And he kind of go, then he does the wig era when he gets like the six right. cent hair and then the friend's hair, uh, which right. is and, clearly and, and, a look, he, and he gets the wig in this one too, but it's the exaggerated wig. Right. It's so clearly you a wig. But then you're like, wait a minute, you're gonna actually going to do this for real, like for the next mm-hmm. five years, but wh- whatever. We'll, we'll let him get away with it. Um, Gilliam. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I need your, what are your thoughts on Gilly? I, I, I've got some history and background and stuff here, but I, as, as someone that is a student of film, like, are, are you, do you love Terry Gilliam? Are you annoyed by him? I know there's a lot of mileage. Well, there. Uh, I, I, I mean, recently, I know he said some things that make him, uh, oh, it's a word, very divisive amongst people. Uh, I, I like Gilliam just because again, I like artists and, and, you know, you can't really miss when it comes to, you know, his, 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 his uh, filmography, you go Brazil, you go 12 monkeys, you go fear and loathing. Those three movies alone make him, you know, uh, a director legend. And, and then you throw in the Monty Python things and it's like, holy shit, this dude, like, again, you watch a Gilliam movie, you know, it's a Gilliam movie. Did I like all of them? No, I watched zero theory and theorem. I didn't care for it, but I'm watching it. I'm going, Oh, it makes me miss 12 monkeys. He has that kind of, he has that understandable, that very distinctive style almost feels like you're watching a live action cartoon. I know that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean? Uh, so, so I'm a fan. I'll watch anything of his, um, even though, uh, yeah, his, uh, his opinions on, on things are, uh, not the most PC. He, uh, he really speaks his mind. I mean, he, yeah. Forget Fisher King too, is another favorite too. Well, Which I, haven't, I haven't seen. I need to watch that. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. one to check out. Um, a great Robin Williams performance. And Jeff yeah. Bridges before he became officially Jeff Lebowski, like when he was oh, actually right like sexy Jeff Bridges, but then he basically just fully adopted the dude from like yeah, the, late nineties onwards. The only two Gilliams I haven't seen besides, I guess there's the Don Quixote one. That, I don't know if it's got released yet, but uh, I haven't seen Fisher King and I haven't seen Time Bandits. And Time Bandits, I think, is also on HBO Max, and I just hear it's like excellent. And maybe I'll do that tonight. Yeah, I heard. I've heard good things. Turn down Braveheart. Turn down Forrest Gump. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah. Alien yeah. Resurrection. So he's. I mean, he's a guy that just wants to make his shit. Has no interest okay. in. You know, he, he turns down paychecks just because he's got like this very distinct vision. Uh, and and really, we'll tell studios to go fuck themselves. And is often the reason they get in a ton of fights. You got. You know. You got to respect that. Um, and you know, but Twelve Monkeys. When you think about it, it really wasn't the yes, it's out there in terms of what was being released, but like it comes from a really reputable screenwriter. You know what I mean? Like this was the guy that wrote Blade Runner and wrote um, uh, Unforgiven. So this is like a hot, this is a hot script. It's just, you know, uh, it's just a hard movie to see, especially getting made now, you know. Yeah, I, I think that that Gilliam's style, he's, he's best known for those bizarre animation sequences of Monty Python, you know, and, and using cutout pictures and photographs. He, uh, But he uses a lot of wide-angle lenses, uses a lot of the fishbowl shit, like the real, yep. like, when someone kind of peers in and, like, their face is more rounded. Dutch tilt shots, there's a ton of those, man. Like, he ton, usually yeah. those annoy me. And, in fact, in Thor, you remember the first Thor movie? There's a shit ton of Dutch angle shots. And I remember yeah. being like, why is this happening? Like, this isn't, like, Terry yeah. Gilliam. The, the tone of this does not fit. But Gilliam, meanwhile, he's in a fucking, you know, insane mm-hmm. asylum. So when you have the mm-hmm. camera sideways and, like, kind of moving around zanily, it makes sense. And it tells a but story. Then you have, yeah, and then you have the the the, uh, the patients watching cartoons. And you're like, which one's the cartoon? You know what I mean? 
Exactly. So the cartoon sound effects really work with the action that's happening. I think that's that's a Gilliam trademark. Um, yeah. I really like the scenes where Wills is being like interrogated by the panel of future scientists, and mm-hmm. they're like they're kind of manic and zany and borderline farce. Like it reminds me mm-hmm. of like a little bit like Doctor Strange Love. It's a, like because they're yeah. like finishing each other's sentences and like it's kind of like satire for a little bit there. And I love that. And then it's so Gilliam because Gilliam really does always kind of poke at, you know, authority and a system and how everyone's kind of flawed. And then you watch 12 monkeys and even these scientists who are running this new world uh, are sending him back to the wrong era on accent, like multiple times. Like they don't even really know what they're chasing. I think that's, I think that's kind of like a great statement and very in, in, in line with, with Gilliam. Yeah, you mentioned the writers. Uh, Chris Marker um, wrote a short called Legette, which is a French art house black and white film, which this is based on. So he basically gets an inspired story by did you Did you watch that? I have not seen it. No, have you seen it? It's bizarre. I, I watched a little of it. I didn't watch all of it. It's it's like still images, which is which is really like really kind of it is an art short for sure. So the fact that they were able to pull this you know movie what? out I of that. I might have seen that. I think yeah. I might have seen that. Now that you say that, it is still it was on Criterion mm-hmm. Channel, and I think I, I yeah. watched that. Um, yeah. And yes, the the it did have like that that uh, post apocalypse sort of feeling to it, mm-hmm. and like the people you know on, on tables with wires attached. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I have seen that. Um, but still, like it's 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 amazing, amazing that they pulled this story out of that short. Really, just yeah. really awesome. To to Dave and Jan Peoples, the the screenwriters, mm-hmm. they were given the short by the producer Charles Roven. They went in for a weekend and came out with the. The, the germs, man-made germs or germs from nature, they had an image of a city with no people and just animals roaming mm-hmm. around. They had that. And once you get that image and it kind of like attaches itself to you, then you kind of have to like flesh out a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wrote it and, and David people said Terry liked it a lot, but was devoted to making Tale of Two Cities for Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had been developing that pre-production for a while. And so they had them do a rewrite. The producers had him do a rewrite. And then Tale of Two Cities fell through. Terry's available. They give him the rewrite. Terry says, how come you ruined the script? Uh, mm. So I think he went right back to that first draft, and that's the one he wanted to do. Uh, awesome. So it, it's uh, it's a, when a director falls in love with a script like that and, and wants to make it, in this yep. time, it gets the money to do so. I'm glad it made money, man, because like, you know, I, I still, think that paved the way for still, it. It still blows my mind that it made money because I can't, you know, again, though I was in the audience multiple times as a child, I didn't have the brain I had now. And I, 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 I can't remember the reaction the crowd must have had on that. It's a difficult film. It really is. Um, and again, seeing your leading man babbling and being drugged up. And then it just it, it's a very difficult film for a white audience. And I, I just can't believe it did so well. I really can't. Yeah, you you love to hear, to see it though, and I mean, I think mm-hmm. just repeated viewings is what you saw it twice as a kid. I'm sure a lot of adults yeah. saw that. If anything, just trying to make sense of it because you yeah. couldn't just like run to YouTube and read the plot at that point. You, you, True. Yeah, you had to like discuss it with friends in bars and be like, "What happened? Yeah. What was that? You know what?" And all of that. Um, all right, I made up a new category. It's Sam's deep and somewhat, but maybe not thought provoking questions. Uh, what happened to Madeline Stowe? Like so. I, should get mom, I think. Yeah, and then, you know, Madeline actually shot a pilot in Memphis back in like '06. They shot at my high school. I went to MUS, and they they did a whole pilot there, and it didn't get picked up. It was a network TV show. I think it was ABC or something. No shit. And she was going to be the lead. It was going to be her big West Wing type show. Uh, she, I, she was, I think, she was a politician in it. And then it, the pilot got killed, and the show never happened. And then I, I don't know what happened to her since then. But yeah, for a good. You know, five years, eight years or so, she was the leading woman. You know, what was it? Uh, Mohicans, she do uh, young. Wait, what's, what was the Western she did? 
she did uh, uh, the general's Young daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. The two Jakes. She was actually opposite Jack Nicholson in the, the Chinatown nice. scene. Yeah, uh, but she blazes on the scene in Stakeout, the underrated Richard mm-hmm. Richard Dreyfus '80s classic, which I I ride for. Um, that's Unlawful like, entry. Yep. Yeah. And she's uh, chosen by Empire as 160 stars in film history in 95. I mean, she really is like the A-list female yep. star that you go get is in this movie. And then I mean, she, gets second, she, gets sec- yeah, she gets second billing. Brad Pitt's right. behind her. Yeah. Which is wild to think about. Uh, that's yeah. th- th- That right there is a, a time capsule. She has her yeah. first kid in 96, concentrates on family life, then comes back and uh, is in the proposition and playing by Hart and General's daughter in the late mm. 90s, which didn't do that well. And then trying no, to make another return kind of right around when you talked about in mid 2000s. Yeah. Doesn't work out, but it's mostly been, you know, a, a concentrated on being a mother, which happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. You, you see this, and often For that's sure. like what happened to this actress, and that's sometimes the case. And that's you know, an part of that. Sad, sad little sidebar, but that, that has sort of a happy ending. But, you know, a few years back, I, I went to a screening of Halloween here in Los Angeles, the Egyptian, and Carpenter came out with Jamie Lee Curtis. And this was before they, of course, they did the remake and all that. I mean, the, the new one. Uh, and someone asked Jamie Lee why she's not in movies anymore. And she had this very honest response where she said, you know, Hollywood has nothing for women my age anymore. It's just, it's a truth I've come to terms with. And I embrace the fact that I'm Laurie Strode and I had a wonderful career, but uh, I don't expect them to come knocking. And then next thing you know, five years later, she gets cast as Laurie Strode once again, and then she's on Scream Queens, and then she's on Knives Out. So it really is sort of like a, a heat a heat check in a way. You you It is all about the heat you have. But I do think, you know, when you're a great actress like a Jamie Lee Curtis or like a Madeline Stowe, it just takes that one role. And, and maybe it's TV or maybe it's a remake. I don't know. But um, I don't expect her to be gone for a long time. Man, I could totally see her coming back in something like The Undoing on HBO. You know, right. like a you know, basically instead of the Nicole Kidman, like that kind of role yeah. where she comes back on a limited series, and then people are like, "Wait, who is this?" And then they go back and revisit her. And uh, yeah, and, her and ho- Hollywood loves those uh, those resurrection stories. You know, the Mickey Rourke's or the old Mickey Rourke's. Right. <laughs> we got multiple iterations of Mickey Rourke. Yeah. All right. All right other question: Did would nine eleven ruin this movie? I don't think there's any way that he gets through the air uh, airport like security with like a obviously some sort of chemical um in post yeah. I know that happens a lot and I'm not trying to like That's a great point. The plot very much hinges on this is why you gotta hate time travel movies because yes obviously 9-11 9-11 would ruin the movie and then you wonder I wonder what this movie's like you know if it had come out during corona times you know what I mean with um with the whole just the, the plot of I guess in a bit in a way it's a big red herring the whole um 12 monkeys and the planting a virus and trying to catch them before it gets out. Right. It is. Um, and, and he, he still almost stops it, but then doesn't. It's on dark stuff. I mean, it still happens. Yeah. Uh, and then 5 million people are killed, uh, mm-hmm. which leads me to the ending. Uh, Dr. Peters, spoiler alert. He's the assistant mm-hmm. to Dr. Goins, the virologist. And he's obsessed with the apocalypse. And he's kind of a, a green, like he's a, like the word destroying the world, uh, kind of like mm-hmm. a global warming sort of guy. Um, yep. But he's like obviously taking it to the extreme. He wants to murder everybody. He's the played real by David, he's, played by David Morris. Yes, uh, a, a total that guy, like a guy mm-hmm. that shows up and you're like that guy. I've seen that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's the real culprit. Spreads the virus. Sits next to a woman on the plane. Eventually, that is revealed to be the scientist. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and, and on the panel, eventually, why? What's her deal? Is she not aged? It, it's been. Well, 39 yeah. years in the future. Again, again, this is the whole logic thing. You just have to turn your brain off for a second. 
uh, and I believe she says that she's an uh, in insurance. She's working insurance or something like that. So she's there to go try to figure out, you know, how to stop or how to uh, end this virus, stop this virus. But yeah, you know, um, something that's interesting, they don't really actually say what year the present year is, but you can kind of do the math a little bit. And it's like, well, if, if Willis was a kid in, uh, in I guess, 20, they say in the, on Wikipedia, it says 2035. Yeah, he's an eight, he's eight years old in 96. Uh, which is okay. when the virus gets released, and then okay, twenty thirty five right, right. is supposed to be the future. That's what, that's what uh, Gillian said. Okay, so it's like she, so it is thirty nine years, and she mm-hmm. she was already kind of old on the plane. I, I, yeah. I know they and they're clearly they're highlighting her to be like, oh, that's the scientist. Like, I guess she survives, or was, and, or was she sent back? Remember, Jose is there too, also sent back. Oh, that's true. That could yeah. absolutely, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, and so how would, how would word have got, gotten to, this is why I wanted to talk about it. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how would word have gotten to the future that she needed to go. I mean, does she stop him? I guess is the question. Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe she's, you know, or how, would she know to get on, how would she know to get on that plane? You have to think that everybody in that subterranean uh, uh, existence, they all sort of, like, if Jose is being sent around to world war one by accident to go explore mustard gas or whatever he's doing, uh, and then also ends up at that airport that the scientists have sent many other people. Maybe they're all on the various heights of where the virus was, was being sent to. Um, but how she ends up on the seat next to David Morse. I don't know. That's, that's the buy-in. Yeah. And uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes, I think it makes the most sense that she was sent back yeah. and she's just another person there. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. That's what I'm going to uh, go with. IMDb and potentially bullshit Google trivia. Terry Gilliam was afraid that Brad Pitt wouldn't be able to pull off the nervous rapid speech, send him to a speech coach. But in the end, he just took away pitch cigarettes and weed because um, <laughs> uh, he said Pitt was notoriously loved weed and it kind of played into his slow draw and Pittism. Uh, so he took no. away the weed, took away the cigarettes, and then we got no, no, no Floyd. He took all the Floyd out of Brad. Pitt. <laughs> exactly. That's I think Brad Pitt being his most Brad Pittiest is when, yes. he's, when he's Floyd in the early nineties. Yeah. Um, don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. Uh, Brad Pitt wore hand painted content lenses to achieve the cockeyed look. Mm-hmm. Um, Gillian, not a big Bruce Willis fan, and he's just totally outright about it. Said I've never mm-hmm. been a great fan of Bruce's before. Uh, he passed on Nicolas Cage and Tom Cruise before he finally came around on Willis. This is a big budget. They, the studio wanted these guys and could get them because this is like a hot director at the time. Gilliam's a big deal. Uh, and uh, he says he wasn't a fan of him, talked to him, liked him, and thought, okay, this guy's smart. He's funny. He explained to him his concerns about him as an actor. He told Bruce Willis to his face that he hated the Trumpian mouth he does in films. Yeah. Uh, make, it looks like a rectal. He says it looks like I'm looking at someone's asshole. Uh, which I, that's classic Terry Gilliam gave Willis mm-hmm. a list of acting cliches not to be used in the film, including the steely blue eyes look that Willis is famous <laughs> for. Wanted it to be the least possible Bruce Willis person ever. Uh, yeah, so wow. you, you, you love that. Um, they they bucked yeah. a lot on set because Bruce was hot shit at the time and made yeah. everyone aware about it. Uh, they said that every time during the week on set, he was like really happy to be making this, you know, kind of character driven art house film that he hadn't made. And yep. then he'd go away on the weekends to do whatever he wanted to do. And he'd come back on Monday as hot shit Willis again. And they'd <laughs> have to like, uh, they'd have to like remind him that they're, they're making this film and like, yep. they don't need, you know, they don't need his ego. Uh, so it's a was, very, very strange movie for Willis to do, but I, it wouldn't, I don't think it would have done the business it did if it hadn't been absolutely this, not. at this time of Bruce Willis. Yeah. Johnny Depp was considered for the role of Jeffrey Goins. Uh, do you think that works? 
I do. Yeah. Again, I mean, look, uh, I think Brad did a great job, but let's, that's like an actor's playground that Jeffrey Goyne's role. Depp would have been wonderful. Yeah. I think that's kind of like the, I'm surprised he didn't get the role. I mean, I guess he yeah. ride with star power, but I mean, I that's, guess he's I guess... coming off of Nick of time or something like that. He's so, oh, shit. that's he's a classic. Big. He did, uh, he did, uh, that, uh, what was that movie where he played the, uh, play nine from outer space director, Ed Wood, Ed, Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah. That was right after that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert De Niro turned down the Bruce Willis role. Apparently, I don't know. That could be bullshit, but that's something I read. I, I heard some somewhere that Nick Nolte was going to be in it, which which just seems like such a drag of a movie. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, Brad had just won Sexiest Man of the Universe. Tilly and Terry Gilliam remarked that Legends of the Fall really did it, changed everything. Girls were threatening to th- th- throw themselves off the Philadelphia bridges to get mm-hmm. to him. Uh, apparently in the penitentiary, they don't know how she did it, but somehow a girl got in and hid overnight on set. The next day <laughs> when they showed up to continue filming, she came out in the middle of the shot and wanted Brad, uh, which is, is pretty pretty fantastic stuff. Um, especially especially in a, in a insane, insane asylum, you know what I mean? It kind of fits. It does, yeah. I mean, I think they just, just probably just like, leave it in they there. locked her up right there and, and you know, and keep, left her there on set. Keep the rolling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, Sasha, the Siberian Tiger, was a particular favorite because they housed her at the armory where the office on set was located. Uh, actually, a couple teenage gang members snuck on set, tried to rob the office, and then were met with a tiger's claw when they opened the door. And when the, the set uh, decorator showed up on set or the production assistant, they were had pissed yeah. themselves and were, were sitting like trembling against the wall oh, because man. they didn't expect to find a tiger. Um, <laughs> good shit. Wow. Good behind the scenes shit in the oral history. Good I stuff. recommend good giving stuff. it a read. Uh, any other things that you read or have just thought about uh, with this film before we get into the categories? No, go for it. Go for it. All right. Um, categories. Who gets the most buckets in this movie? The best acting category for In the Can. Derek, who do you like for most buckets? It's obvious, but it's Brad Pitt. He was nominated for Golden Globe. Uh, I mean, he won a Golden Globe, was nominated for an Academy Award. Um, yeah, it's, it's Brad. Again, it's Brad Pitt. Do you think he's doing a little too much? That was a question. I asked that earlier because I, I wonder if audiences thought it then because at the time he was that pretty boy. And it's like, is he trying too hard? But on the rewatch, I don't. I think it's fascinating. I think it's great, especially the later part of the movie where he's trying to keep his shit together, and you see him at his at the dinner with his dad, and he's falling asleep, and and it's like he's like he's like a reformed crazy person. It's just I, I think it's wonderful. It, it fits, you know, with the with the accordion music and Terry Gilliam style. It just it makes it it gives the it shoots the movie with some energy that it needed. That's true. Yeah. He does inject every scene he's in with yeah. a shot of adrenaline. I mean, do you think what's Jeffrey Goins' life look like? So he's born to this very rich virologist and like world mm-hmm. renowned. Obviously, sure. comes from money. You know, ha- has has some money in his background, and then and then what? He's he's just a he's got mental imbalances from the get go, or he's trying For to sure. do his I, think, I, think or, he's, I think he's probably one of these people that had mental imbalances and that love theories and. Had uh, a lot of expectations growing up that he never met because he couldn't keep his shit together. And maybe because his parents were so wealthy that he, he didn't get the help he needed at the right time. It's like spiraled. And then by the time he's released, he just wants to kind of fall in with the group. And the animal rights activists are the, you know, are also, they're extreme enough that uh, he finds something he can be passionate about. That's my guess. Maybe I'm getting too deep. I don't know. No, I, I like it. So he gets out of the, he's in, in 90, he's in the insane asylum. 
And then at some point between 1990 and 96, he just gets released. I, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's there involuntarily committed or what, but like I, at what I, point I are you just like, this guy's ready to enter society again? Yeah, I think that's his dad's sway. And and the yeah. dad being a powerful man like he is, wants to try to do whatever he can to set his son up, even if that means having him work at the company and have keys to the lab. Uh, uh, so, I, yeah, I think it's his dad's influence that, uh, you know, to, to, to get him out of there. Um, but, yeah. I like it. Um, yeah, that, that that's a good pick. I was going to pick him for my six-man slash woman award. Um, I, I mean, I'll talk about some of these things now, but – Terry Gilliam said Brad came to London. They had dinner because he was keen to get on board to play the Bruce Willis part. Um, mm. But he was actually scared shitless. Gilliam was but that Brad not, might not be able to play the character because they'd never seen him as a motor mouth. Said that uh, he liked pot too much. He had a lazy tongue, but he worked his ass off. He really did. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, to prepare for the film, he checked himself into a mental ward and spent a few days there just to get the feel of it. I always find those stories interesting. Can you imagine being in your run of the mill insane asylum and Brad Pitt shows up and they're just like, Oh no, no. Yeah. Like, are, are you like, just think that you're crazy and that that's actually not Brad Pitt. Or are you like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, I, I think that would probably almost traumatize some of those people. Like right. uh, that's a uh, pretty fascinating. And are they like just letting yeah. him run around with everyone else? Or did they have like this special wing of like, I don't know. That's those sorts of like Daniel day Lewis, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like living in the skin of the persons. I'm always like, the practicality of it, I'm interested. Like the insurance involved as an attorney, I'm like, can you imagine the? I mean, this the liability on that insane asylum that they're uh, yeah. letting their star run around in. I, I, it's interesting to me, and I, I wonder is. like if if that still happens. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. You know, it's um, you know, each actor has their own sort of quirks and, and demands, and yeah, I mean, like the the Daniel Day Lewis thing to me, still, I know he does it. It's still the, the photo of him dressed like Lincoln eating. Like Lincoln with that, and like saying he doesn't use a cell phone. It's just one of the greatest give, memes, man. That's under. Give me a break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually am like completely over that stuff. And like the, exactly. and if you're gonna do it, like don't publicize it so much, because then it's like it's kind of like when you do community service and you like post an Instagram. Are you doing community service? It's like, wait a minute, yeah. like what was the purpose, sir? You know, what's the actual goal here? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I I, I know this is awesome, but like I, some of that stuff, I'm just like, all right. Like, yeah, kind of a psycho to some degree. I mean, I think he's like might be a sociopath that's just found his calling, um, which which is great. Like that he's not you know, murdering women and instead he's winning Oscars. But yeah, something going on there. Like something going on. Right there with you. Yeah, uh, I, I pick. I'm gonna pick uh, Madeline Stowe. I think that the movie really. I mean, Willis is good. Um, mm-hmm. And he he is. Shout out to him for not being the stereotype of like basically another John McClane. Right? He doesn't exactly. have the answers. It's a little bit more like his Butch performance from from Pulp Fiction, a little bit yeah. like of a quieter sort of like anger brewing underneath the surface, like not mm-hmm. a macho. Not, well, I mean, even in, in Pulp Fiction, he is technically a macho man. He's like a, you know, a heavyweight boxer or middleweight or whatever. So he is a skilled fighter. Uh, and this movie's more like a caged animal. He really like takes you through the plot as the avatar. Mm-hmm. But Madeline mm-hmm. Snow, I thought, I mean, the second she appeared, I like immediately while watching was looking at her eye to be like, what the fuck happened to her? She's like, a dance yeah. star. I mean, she's like riveting when she's on the screen. She's like, why did she not have Gwyneth Paltrow's career? You know, like what happened? Right. Right. She's yeah. so good. And, uh, it just so she carries every frame she's in. Like you, she can play like the, she's attractive, but she can play the scientist and like, you believe it, you know, it's, I, uh, I, I really got, really was kind of riveted by her again and had forgotten that she existed, honestly, like yeah. she just hasn't been in our, 
our eyesight. Um, yeah, come back, and, uh, Madeline. Yeah, and she's yeah, exactly, and she's done like so, so many things in this movie. She's like plays like a hostage, and she plays like a love interest, and she plays mm-hmm. like a down psychologist, and she mm-hmm. she does all of it, wears a lot of hats, and they're all believable. Like I, I kind yeah. of believe she falls for this guy. Yeah, it is a strange. You know, it is know. a le- it, it is a love story in a way, which is yeah. you know there's there's that you know uh, there's like this this love story there, but there's also this academic fascination with this guy that, you know, of course she's studying the Cassandra complex and he's, you know, living proof of that. And she, she plays it really well. Yeah, she does. Um, so shout mm-hmm. out Madeline. So come back into our yeah. lives. Uh, six man slash woman award. I, I had picked Brad Pitt, which we, mm-hmm. we've talked about his performance as the zany Jeffrey Goins. Uh, who do you like as six man slash woman? I'm actually going to go with a, uh, with a smaller character that I just love. And it's Frank Gorshin who played Dr. Fletcher in the mental institution. He's a guy with a cigarette. Frank Gorshin was the Riddler yeah. in the Batman TV series. Exactly. And, and I just think he, I don't know. I mean, think about it. The Riddler is all about playing games. And so is, this whole movie in a way and it's um it's stunt casting sort of but i don't know he's very he fits into the gilliam world and i don't know i i always think of him he uh he has such a, a peculiar look like he right. looks like it's it's such a distinct look he looks like he would be like running a mental institution um a little bit of a haughty doctor that kind of knows everything you know and maybe looks down on all of his subordinates a little bit he reminds me a lot of like he'd have been a great doctor in silence of the lamps like i could totally see oh, him yeah. in that mental institution on that set just like also working there um oh yeah. yeah i uh I, I enjoyed that too and i immediately saw his name in the credits and i was like that's the fucking guy who played the riddler that's and then i the riddler. spotted him because he has that such a unique look uh exactly. that, that had a really good performance that when he's in the cell when cole escapes and he's like <laughs> like he's like he was locked up uh he was drugged the door was locked, like he was chained yeah. down, and and then he looks up and he's like, "You mean to tell me that a man that was yeah. drugged, chained down, and the door is locked, like escaped through that ventilation shaft and then replaced it behind him?" Uh, yeah. And, and just, he kind of lets it hang. So he's like smoking that cigarette, and it's so it's nice. The cigarette, I, I just love yeah. the cigarette. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I really like that character too. There's not really a weak link in this movie. There's no one you're like. I mean, Chris Maloney. Chris, Malo- Chris Maloney's in it. Oh wow! Shout out him. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, I was like, wow, look at uh, looking young, you know. Yeah, full head of hair. He doesn't have the, you know, good for him. You know, he had a yeah. he had a really good, uh, really good nineties. I feel like um, <laughs> only played cops though. Uh, you know, only like the, playing cops. Yeah, that's what he does. Yeah. Um, let's see the uh, ISO play single greatest scenes. So I have some nominations and feel free to add in some. Uh, I I started with Cole in the tundra of Philly in the future. Um, mm-hmm. surveilling for animals, uh, you know, kind of the first introduction to the post-apocalyptic world, the snow, mm-hmm. a lot of really beautiful shots here. I don't have off the top of my head who shot this movie, who the DP was. Yeah. Uh, I'll take a look. It, uh, I mean, it is a, a really striking beginning to a film with these animals. And it's kind of that, that screenwriter, when they first had that inclination to write it, they had these visuals of, of animals running around. Uh, and it really kind of like, it's, I am legend before that movie, like well before right. that movie. And it kind of reminds you, like, that might have been the first place to see that sort of thing. Um, right. And again, when I was eight years old and I saw it, it was it was even more striking. It's like, right. oh, my God, there's, uh, like, these animals are walking around. It's, it was just scary and, and confusing but intimate in a weird way. Because, again, it is a fairly – I wouldn't say it's a low-budget movie, but it is a uh, – it's in the '90s. They couldn't go super sprawling with it. It was in. It was like you know landmarks you would recognize. Just 
taken by the elements. Yeah, and uh, the the spacesuit is also mm-hmm. very unique in this movie. And mm-hmm. and you 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 sort of like it's he gets, has a suit up scene. It's like Apollo thirteen, but it's like everything's a little bit low tech. Like everything's practical. It's all shitty. Exactly. Like, I love it that condom. way. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's good. a condom look. It's a latex, yeah. the condom, and it's you can just smell the powder. Yeah, it's very cool. And then the, I, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, let me pull out a scene that's that I don't think people would think of, but every time I think of this movie, I'm reminded of this one moment, and it's a little cheesy, but it like it, it warms my heart. It's there, you know. He's kidnapped her. They're in the car. Or they're driving to. I think they're driving to Philadelphia, and. um and he puts on the radio and starts like like having this nostalgic moment and, and forget about the fact that it's an oldie song and, and how would this kid of the nineties know an oldie song? But the fact that like he hadn't heard music in forever and he gets all emotional over the music. I, I, I love I love that moment so much. And I think about it all the time. I have that in uh, I have that. I have kidnapping Dr. Wow. Alley going to Philly loving the music. That because I agree that is a fantastic scene and a real uh, moment for Willis. You know, there, there's, he gets a little dewy eyed hearing the song and it, it, yeah, it, he looks it's like a really puppy good dog. Shit, man. Yeah, it's yeah. it's uh, it's shit that uh, you know it's it's a break in the middle of the movie. You got your the characters mm-hmm. are on the road. You've got like a kidnap situation slash like she kind of likes him, so she's not. It's like a sort of kidnapping, but she's kind mm-hmm. of in the ride. A little so, Stockholm syndrome, yeah. Exactly. Um, so that I, I do love that scene too, and it plays into more of like that classic time travel shit where you got the guy from the future or like mm-hmm. a post-apocalyptic world, kind of like hearkening on one little element that we take for granted. That, but right. it's something that is is beautiful to someone that had never heard music, no matter what the genre or area. And you is. realize you, you realize in life you take these moments for granted, and it's I don't know it hit me hard, and and then I always it always trips me up that a Madeline, Madeline Snow, uh, Stowe pronounces it uh, advertisement. I know people oh do that. Oh my god, dude! It kills me. Blew my fucking mind. Like, what? What in the world is going on? Just, there? She just it quite the advertisement. Good. Just yeah. the advertisement. But that's, that's, that's the line. Oh yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I had to like <laughs> listen to it. She said it, and I was like, "What the fuck?" She just say? <laughs> she says it again, and it's like, not, oh yeah, not always, yeah. I mean, they let her say it twice in like thirty seconds. I literally had that in my notes. That's fucking insane. Um, <laughs> intro to Jeffrey Goins, the asylum for Cole when he first. Mm-hmm enters the asylum in, in 1990 mm-hmm. and we get Brad Pitt's introduction and he gives him like this tour of the, the insane asylum. I fucking love when he keeps telling that person to get out of his chair. Like that's like <laughs> yeah. such a little thing. Like he's like, and he freaks out like as if that person like murdered his parents. Um, I love it. It's uh it's good stuff. And everyone, yeah. you know, it, it's, uh, it, they really hearken or like really hone in on the insane stuff. Like the, mm-hmm. the one guy believes he's like simultaneously existing, existing on two planets which is mm-hmm. also paid off when Cole later feels that he is doing the same thing, right? Like he, right. When, he when he thinks he's insane later in the film, he he quotes whatever it is, like whatever life exerge or some some sort of terminology. Like that. Yeah, I don't remember. He's divergent or something like that, uh-huh. uh, given uh, given by that first insane asylum. Uh, and of course, you know that along those lines, that the scene of of him pulling his tooth out always sticks with me. And that yeah. was one of those. Um, as a kid shocked me, you know, again, you, I'm used to seeing John McClane getting brutalized, but when it's something so small as ex- extracting a tooth, it's like, Oh, so yeah, a brutal scene. And there's a lot of like little reversals in this movie. Like you think he's mm-hmm. killing the guy, but he's really just like, 
he drags him into the bathroom yeah. and you think he's yeah. gonna kill him and then he actually just removes his own teeth and the guy's fine and like and that's by the way that's my favorite line of the movie i don't know if we're going into lines yet but my favorite line of the movie is that guy going i'm an innocent victim in here i was attacked by a coca a coked up whore and a fucking crazy dentist <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's that reminds, that reminds me of like a gilliam line that, that gives you yeah. a little money python flair yeah, always um, talk i've got uh confronting goins at his dad's dinner party that whole the scene in the Kind of the second big Brad Pitt scene, the, scene the, the, the staircase, the stairwell. Yeah, yeah, kind of a little action scene in the middle of the movie, and he's running away from the, I guess the whatever the armed guards of the mansion. Yeah, uh, that's um. How, how about the moment where uh, where Willis and, and Madeline are at the movie theater at the Hitchcock Marathon? Yeah, that's watching, cool. Watching Vertigo, which is a movie very similar to to this movie in a sense. It's you know all about. Uh, sort of uh, mistaken identity and, uh, you know, uh, trying to be somebody else and, and, and mystery and intrigue. It is, a hitch, it is like, in a way, a weird sci-fi version of Vertigo. It is. It's very Hitchcockian. And I think mm-hmm. that's, a, a you know, a very purposeful nod. Even the actor, oh, yeah. main actors in Vertigo has, like, the is it normally a brunette and wears the blonde wig. And then Madeline, even Madeline that and hair. Yeah. yeah. So there's even no element. Um, airport finale. Uh, you know, which is the, you know, yeah. the recurring dream of the of Cole as a child sees ultimately his death um, and lives with them for the rest of his life. And, and, yeah, and by the way, one of the first times Bruce Willis was killed on film until, of course, many you know he's been killed many times since. But uh, this notable. is a big action star, very notable. Yeah, and 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 as a kid, remember I saw this when I was eight, and and the Cole was eight years old in the movie. How old is the child version of Cole? Supposed to be eight. And, yeah. They seeing you know that I identified with that kid watching Bruce Willis die is heartbreaking. Did you immediately know that that I mean, like I, I, I did, I, did, I didn't, I didn't by you know in the beginning I wasn't able to piece together that oh that's him young, but I did in the end because I think they called the kid James, you know like James yeah. come on we have to go and when I, and I then I I got it and and I was bummed out by it I'm like why does that kid have to die when he gets older. Yeah, no, he, uh, I hope he doesn't realize that. I mean, I guess, yeah, yeah he's no, in a constant state of real, seeing his own death. Um, yeah. Kind of that striking beginning opening where it opens right on the eyes, you know, and like mm-hmm. the lots the of eyes in this movie. Yeah, yeah, which is, I love a good close up. And I mean, Gilliam loves him too. And I, I think that's a really good opening shot. Like anytime a movie begins on eyes, I feel like I'm in good hands, even if it's a bullshit movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of already in. I'm like, all right. Well, this guy knows how to move the camera to some degree. And, uh, uh, that's yeah, totally. what, the airport finale is one of my favorite tropes uh, where you do the, the, our, our doctor gets through and he's holding the contagious virus. And then yep. the security guard goes, hold on, wait a minute. And then you're like, Oh shit, he's caught. And then the guy turns around and then it's something totally. Innocuous. Else. Yeah. yeah. It's, or it's yeah. like, he's holding up panties and like, a, <laughs> or it's like, whatever. He's like, you forgot your gum. Uh, yeah. I love that trope. Uh, and another of my favorite tropes related to Bruce Willis is in Die Hard when people keep showing up on the scene and like usurping power. Um, yeah. Like like the first you got like the beat cop, then you got the sergeant, then you got the FBI. And every time they show up, it's like, um, you know, I'll take it from here. Or he's like, uh, yeah. we're in charge now. Uh, Who's in then, charge? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I, I love that. The, the, the dick measuring. Exactly. Uh, I love those yeah. tropes. Um, yeah. Well, now is the most quotable quote section. I, Yep. I had trouble picking out like quotes because this is not a dialogue movie, it's right? Not. And that's why I went to the fucking crazy dentist, which I, I just thought was so funny. Um, yeah. We'll go with that. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's I go love that Jeffrey rants are good, but he's just like ranting uh -huh. about media and then controlling your mind and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, pulp, there's a couple of Pulp Fiction. Well, there's a Pulp Fiction reference that I find interesting, um, and that's when uh, Bruce Willis says, "I don't watch TV." Um, when mm -hmm. he's in like the theater beating up the and like I think that uh, Vincent says that um, in Pulp right. Fiction. And uh, I always find right that he delivers it almost in like the same sort of. I always find that interesting. I wonder if that was like some sort of intentional reference. Yeah, probably not. Probably. It just felt, it felt weird, like another character. Mm -hmm. um, so true. If you could place any character with Nick Cage, who would it be and why? It could have been Bruce Willis's character because it could have very well been cast. This is like peak, oh, this, I want an Oscar. This, Nick Cage. Cage yeah. Cage should have been in this movie because um, Cage could have done a could have been, role. Yeah. I, I think he could have been great in any role in this movie. Um, yeah, because yeah. he. I mean, if you think about his character in. Eight millimeter is sort of like this is the Bruce Willis character. Like he's mm -hmm. a straight, straight laced, but finds himself in these like totally bizarre situations and doesn't really know how to like accept them, but yeah, find his way through the film. Um, I could see him doing that, but uh, I, I, uh, I would have liked to see Nick Cage just show up in the mental asylum, just like maybe they got him on set for like, be, be the one guy day. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, and just or, let him or, cook or for a second. Or Cage is a David Morse character, Peters, and is the one that comes and swoops swoops in at the end with the virus. He's the environmentalist. That's good. I love. I would love him wearing that like orange ponytail. I think that would be fantastic, like the hairpiece yeah. or whatever. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Keep the hairpiece. Yeah. Uh, rewatchability. Which one is this? A buy on Blu-ray, rent on iTunes, or happen to catch on HBO Stars? Or I won't see this again. I do think this is one of those that it's good to have in the Blu-ray collection for sure. It's it, it looks beautiful. It's again, like you said, it's timeless. Um, yeah, it's like it's again, it's a top Gillian movie. It should be in everyone's collection if they collect. You know, I I I'm I think this is a catch on HBO film for me. I enjoyed the rewatch, um, yeah. but I would never be like, hey, let's watch this, uh, <laughs> unless I mean, unless I guess I'd, someone hadn't seen it. Uh, or you're under a yeah, unless you want to experience experience it under other substances of sorts. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you're if you're yeah if you're doing that, and that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I, you know, I I don't know. I had it, and then like I, I like lost all my DVDs basically, and my millions of moves, <laughs> and like I haven't got it on Blu-ray since. I I do own the Fisher King actually on Blu-ray. Mm. It's a Criterion. I collect Criterion Blu-rays. Um, yeah. And and uh, and Twelve Monkeys is not a Criterion. Um, so that's kind of my my token Terry Gilliam Blu-ray. But it looks really nice. It looks really nice in HBO HBO Max. They 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 do a good job of the transfers. Oh, they really do. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously updated with the best sort of upload and all of that. And um, you know, sit, watching it on it is a movie that really benefits from a widescreen television of, of modern mm -hmm. day, right? Like you don't want to watch that on like a shitty VHS that people had to watch in the '90s on Blockbuster mm -hmm. rental. Like that, it doesn't benefit the film at all. There's a lot of really great. Mm -hmm. Sweeping oh. vistas, you know. Um, well, cool. Yeah. Any other thoughts on 12 Monkeys? Just, you know, again, it's just so refreshing to see, like, a big studio original movie that's not really based on IP. I know it's based on a short film, but not really. You know, it's uh, it's an original, time, like, time travel movie. And and I think those are kind of, like, uh, special when they get them right. And I think they got them right. So, love that movie. It is a good time travel movie. Derek, appreciate your time. I think we need to somehow zap someone back to figure out where Corona originated and, and basically uh, replay yeah. this plot. So once we figure and that out, be, we'll send Nicholas cage. Yes. And he's the, I agree. I think that's probably the best solution here. There All right, go. man. Good chat. And we'll catch up All soon. Right. Thank Good you. Night.
Later, later.